You know what the song was I was going to sing this morning before my daughter tripped me up? See how God works? See how God works. I never cease to be amazed. Mark chapter 13 and verse number 32 this morning. Mark chapter 13 and verse 32. Somebody has strategically placed the spotlight in front of the the, uh, clock back there, so I have no uh, idea what time it is. You know what that means. Okay. I'm sure I can count on somebody to throw something at me. And I'll try to stop it, you know, within two or three hours. Mark chapter 13, verse number 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you bless it to our hearts. Fill me with your spirit. Help us today. As we dig deeper into this topic, help us today to learn. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the third week of Advent, and I thank the Ward family for reading our reading this morning. Um, And, of course, Advent is a time that we are are talking about the coming, the Advent, the coming of the Lord. And usually the emphasis is on on the first Advent, which is what we celebrate this time of year, Christmas time, when, when Jesus came that first time and was born in a manger. But there's also an aspect of Advent where we are contemplating the second Advent, the fact that he is yet to come again. Uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I found it interesting that as we uh, continue in our little study here on digging deeper into our statement of faith, we just happen to come across, uh, we, we happen to be at this particular point in that study, uh, where we wanted to dig a little deeper into eschatology. And eschatology is just a big word that talks about the doctrine of future things, uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, things working together uh, in an interesting way. Uh, We're at this particular statement in our statement of faith. We believe in the bodily resurrection, immortality, and rapture of all believers at Christ's imminent coming, and that his coming is both pre-tribulational and premillennial. I'm going to talk about that just for a few minutes this morning, and we'll do it as we've done several of these studies. First of all, I'd just like to give you some of the facts, give you some of what the Bible has to say about the topic, and then just make a little bit of application, and uh, then we'll be done. Uh, Here's the fact. Are you ready for the fact? Jesus is coming again. That's the fact. There is a second advent. There will be a second advent. Jesus is coming again. If you're going to believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem that first time, in a manger, uh, as we have celebrated and sung about so much this morning, you're going to do so because you read it in the pages of the Bible. If you're going to believe that Jesus lived a sinless life during which he healed and, and loved and taught and led and went about doing good, then you're going to do so because you read about it in the pages of the Bible. And if you're going to believe that Jesus laid down his life on the cross as a voluntary atoning sacrifice to pay for your sins and for mine, you're going to do so because you read about it in the Bible. And the fact is, if you believe those things, then you can't escape the fact that the same Bible that teaches those things teaches that Jesus is coming again. It is a fact. It is a fact. And we can even be more plain spoken about this truth because the fact is some people will say, well, uh, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, it doesn't matter whether you believe it. It is a fact. Jesus 
is coming again. Just as much a fact as, as that he came the first time is the fact that he is coming again. Lift up the trumpet, the songwriter said, and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, you pilgrims. Be joyful and sing. Jesus is coming again. Echo at hilltops. Proclaim it, you plains. Jesus is coming again. Coming in glory. The lamb that was slain. Jesus is coming again. Heavings of earth. Tell the vast, wondering throng. Jesus is coming again. Tempests and whirlwinds. The anthem prolonged. Jesus is coming again. Nations are angry. By this we do know. Jesus is coming again. Knowledge increases. Men run to and fro. Jesus is coming again. That was written back in the 1800s. And it reads like it could be true today. Jesus is coming again. John W. Peterson said it in a more modern way, in a more up-to-date hymn that we sing often here, marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the king, Jesus is coming again. It is a fact. It is a fact. One day Jesus will return physically, actually, to this very earth. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It is a fact. Jesus is coming again. He said in John chapter 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. It is a fact. One day, there will be a second advent. Jesus will come again. And so that's one thing that the Bible teaches us. It's a fact. He is coming. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't leave us in the dark. It tells us a lot of details about that coming. And just about how that's going to work. There's many things that we know uh, 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 about the second advent, the second coming. For example, uh, I guess maybe this is redundant to what I've already just said, but we do know that it is promised. Look at verse number 26 that we just read. Well, I guess we didn't read that. We started further on. But jump up in Mark chapter 13 to verse 26, and you'll see then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. We know that it is promised. Just as in that verse that we read a minute ago, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, where the angel said to them, why are you looking up into heaven? He will come again the same way that he went away. And so we know that. We know that there is going to be this second coming. We do not know when it's going to be. We do not know that. A fellow by the name of Harold Camping, probably some of you have heard his name in recent days. Harold Camping is a Christian radio broadcaster with Family Life Radio who's made quite a name for himself in that he's into numerology and things like that and has uh, on several occasions attempted to say exactly when the second coming was going to be. I found one source that said this, uh, trying to sum up his predictions. It said in 2011 his end time predictions prediction was that on May 21st, 2011, Jesus Christ would return to earth. The righteous would fly up to heaven and that, that, that there would follow five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21st, 2011, with the end of the world. I lost my place. Oh, yeah. He had previously predicted judgment days on May 21st, 1988 and September 6th, 1994. But look at verse number 32 of our text. I wonder if this is in Brother Camping's Bible. Verse 32, of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. We don't know the day. Verse number 35, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, you do not know. 
Luke chapter 12 and verse number 40 says, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Revelation chapter 3, Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now we need to give Brother Camping some props here, because the fact is, even though he was a little bit messed up on the this stuff of trying to set a date, he believes that there's a second coming, amen? And we need to believe the same way. And so let's not be too harsh on him. But the fact is, we don't know when. We don't know when. We know there is a second coming. We don't know when it is. We do know that it's imminent. We do know that it could be any minute. We do know that it could be soon. In other words, today, we need to get hold of that fact. If we would just get hold of that fact, it would change the way we live our lives. Jesus could come back any minute. And some of you right now are sitting there saying, Oh, I hope he comes back in the next few minutes before I have to suffer through this sermon. I know that's what you're thinking. And it could happen. Because there's absolutely nothing that has to happen before Jesus comes back again. There is no prophecy yet unfulfilled. Nothing that needs to take place. Verse number 36 in our text. Lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. Word as a word. Word to meditate on for a while. Suddenly. Suddenly. James chapter 5, verse number 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, or near. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. One other translation renders that last part, remember the Lord is coming soon. Several times in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I come quickly. He said it over and over. For example, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7, he said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So we don't know when it is, but we know it's soon. We know it's imminent. We know there's nothing holding it back except his will when he decides to do it. And of course, some of you are saying, well, then what in the world is the holdup? It's been 2,000 years. What in the world is keeping him from coming? And, of course, the Bible has the answer for that. Perhaps he's waiting for you. Or perhaps he's waiting for your loved one or your family or, or your neighbor. For somebody that is not yet saved. Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. And so the Bible's clear. Jesus is coming again. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? We believe that? Jesus is coming again. And it could be at any moment. Now let me just briefly, briefly, from a 30,000 foot view, give you what I believe and what our church believes is the timetable of what is yet to come. The very next event on the prophetic timetable is the rapture. The rapture. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll read about that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We read this passage a lot at funerals because it's a very comforting passage. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The rapture. We might say that the second advent of, of Jesus Christ actually occurs in two pieces, two parts. The first, we will meet him in the air. The first is only for those of us who are saved when Jesus returns in the clouds. That's what's described right there. And we're going to be raptured, caught up to meet him in the air. And so we will ever be with him. That's the very next thing. And you know, there's absolutely nothing to stop that from happening today. Nothing. Nothing. The minute that rapture occurs, if we understand the Bible correctly, a timer starts running. A seven-year clock starts to run. And the very next thing that takes place after that rapture is a seven-year period of time, which we usually refer to as the tribulation, a period of great judgment on earth. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 9 or Revelation chapters 11 through 18. Seven years of judgment on this earth, which are saw the worst, the Bible says, the worst that the world has ever seen. Those of us who are believers don't need to fear that because we'll be gone. We'll be with the Lord in heaven. But those who are left behind, it will be a terrible, terrible time. Of that period, Jesus said, Then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And so the rapture and then the tribulation. And then we have what we refer to usually as the second coming in glory. The second part of the second advent, which is Jesus actually returning to this earth after that tribulation period. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19, and I'll show you that just briefly. Revelation chapter 19, in verse number 11. This is good stuff here. This is exciting. Can't wait for this day. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who is that? That's Jesus. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is that? That's Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who is that? I think that's you and me. I think that's believers who are with him. Verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that... With it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The second coming in glory, Jesus returns to this earth, no longer coming as the Savior, now coming as the Judge and the King. Now coming to establish a real, literal, earthly kingdom on this earth. He will reign from a throne. In Jerusalem, rapture, tribulation, second coming. And then that ushers in what uh, oftentimes we call the millennium. One thousand years where Jesus will literally reign from Jerusalem for one thousand years. That's described in Revelation chapter 20. You can read that on your own. It's a period of time when this world will finally, finally, for the first time since Adam Messed us all up by eating of that fruit. For the first time since then, this earth will actually know peace. Peace for a thousand years. Just as that song says, winging, singing on its way. The world revolves from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's never been true, but it will be during that 
particular period. That's when we'll begin to experience what Isaiah and Micah describe. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah chapter 11. Peace. He shall judge between the nations, rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Real peace for a thousand years as Jesus reigns in Jerusalem. Rapture, tribulation, second coming in glory. Millennium for a thousand years. And then the fifth thing on this next, on this timetable is the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Revelation 22, they shall see his face. His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. New heavens, new earth, living in eternity with Jesus Christ forever. That's the timeline. Of course, that's, that's a ridiculously abbreviated discussion of it, but hopefully it's helpful. Hopefully it's helpful. So based on these truths, we have in our statement of faith this sentence. We believe in the bodily resurrection, immortality, and rapture of all believers at Christ's imminent coming. And that his coming is both pre-tribulational and pre-millennial. Let's make some application and then we'll be done. Because I imagine some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, that's interesting. What in the world does this have to do with Christmas, preacher? It's Christmas season. I have presents to wrap. I have meals to fix. I have family and friends coming over. What in the world does any of this have to do with me? If Jesus is coming, he's coming. There's nothing I can do about it. What's the application? Some of you also might be a little bit more astute. And you might already have noticed the application because the application is contained in everything that we just read right there. Notice that it talks so often and, and warns so much about the sudden and unexpected nature of his return. And the application that is mentioned over and over is be ready. Be watching. And be ready. Because it could happen any minute. And so I think the application we could put into a question a question that we all need to be asking ourselves. I need to be asking myself. You need to be asking yourself, which is this. What am I going to be doing? What's he going to find me doing? Where's he going to find me? What's going to be the status of my life when he does? Come back that second time. Verse number 33. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Will he find me watching? Will he find me praying? Luke chapter 12 and verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Will he find me that way? In an attitude of expectation, waiting and watching and looking for his coming. Will he find me working at tasks that have nothing to do with eternity? Will he find me uh, working at the task that he has appointed me to do? Verse number 34. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We talked about last week about our spiritual gifts, and we talked about how uh, each person has a part to play in the service of the king. Will he find us doing that? Will he find us doing what he has assigned us to do? What he's asked us to do? I read this story. I don't know if this is true or not. It was, it was uh, relayed as a true story, so I'll, I'll do the same. But you can look it up and see. But the story said that in 1789 in Hartford, Connecticut, their House of Representatives was meeting. And something strange occurred that day, some kind of strange natural phenomenon where the sky went dark. I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe it was an eclipse or something. But uh, the sky went dark, so the story says. And so dark, it was not just like a normal storm that we would see. It was dark enough that here was these representatives, these people who we would hope would be intelligent people, were all sitting in there and they became frightened. They became concerned. They actually began to think that it was judgment day, that the Lord was coming back. And so they all wanted to adjourn, uh, adjourn the meeting and all, you know, had to be with their families and things like this, except for one particular person who was the Speaker of the House there in Hartford, Connecticut on that day. His name was Davenport, Colonel Davenport, and he rose up and he said this, quote, The day of judgment is either coming or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish candles to be brought, unquote. What will he find us doing? Will he find us doing that which he has given us to do? Or will he find us busy about other things less important? The older I get, and it seems like I can't get much older, but the older I get, the more convicted I am of how much time I waste. Am I the only one who feels that way? Probably many of you do. I don't know about you. I spend so much time on trivia. Do you see that in yourself? I certainly see it in me. Things that have no value in light of eternity, things that the Bible describes as wood, hay, and stubble. I find myself spending way too much. I don't need to make a list of those useless pursuits for you, do I? I mean, you're all intelligent people, and you probably right now can go down through your own little list, and you can sit there and you can say, yep, wood, hay, and stubble, wood, hay, and stubble. Useless, useless pursuits. I think there's a good question we could ask ourselves often in light of what we're reading here, in light of the fact that Jesus' return is imminent. I think we ought to ask ourselves this question every day, often. Do I want Jesus to return and catch me doing this? Is this what I want to be doing when I hear that trumpet sound? I'm not saying we should never take a break or rest or engage in joyful activities or harmless entertainments. I'm not saying that. But I do believe when Christ returns, we need, to be, we need to be careful of what he finds characterizes our life. What is it that characterizes our life? You know, in Luke chapter 12, there's a story of the rich fool. It's a very interesting story. We should all read it. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 and following. I'll just paraphrase it for you. There was this guy, he was rich. He's very rich. Richer than anybody in this room. He had so much riches that his barns were completely filled with it all. And he looked at all that he had, and he says, what am I going to do? I have no place left to put my riches. He says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns, and then I'll fill them up. And then I'll say, soul, take your rest. You got it made. You got it made. And then the Lord said to him, you fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. And who shall those things be? And the illustration, I think, is of someone who has, has their life 
characterized by something that has no meaning for eternity. His life was characterized by wealth. So what will he find us do? Will he find us sleeping? Verse number 36, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. Now that doesn't refer to physical sleep. Uh, rather it refers to a state of unpreparedness. The Boy Scout motto is be prepared. Now I think this is just kind of a summary statement over it all, all this. All these things could be described as you're sleeping. You're not prepared. You're not ready for him to return. Are you prepared or are you sleeping? That's the key application. Jesus' return is imminent. And we must be ready for it. We must be ready. Well, to the Christian, this is good news, isn't it? To the Christian, this is the blessed hope. To the Christian, this is something that we greatly look forward to, is it not? To that day when Jesus comes and there will be no more sickness. Those who have struggled with health issues, no more pain, no more sorrow or death or poverty, no more trials, problems, struggles, weakness, weariness, none of that. No more old age. Glory. Hallelujah. No more politics. Can you imagine? No more politics. No more triumph of the wicked. Hallelujah. No more persecution of the righteous. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. That's what we have to look forward to. Only peace, only good, only righteousness, joy, health, wealth, only Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's, that's, that's worth shouting about. It is. And so to the Christian, this is good news. But to the non-Christian, to the unbeliever, to the lost, it is cause for fear. It is cause for concern. Because those without Christ might be caught out. And I don't have time to get delve into this, but here's what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches if you've heard the gospel and, and have had the opportunity before that rapture, before that deadline occurs, if you've heard the gospel before that, there is no hope for you after that. You will never be saved. You will never be saved. Thessalonians teaches that. And so there is concern that you be caught out. I'm, I'm reminded of a thing that happened when I was in Bible college. I was taking a class called Intro to Education. I never liked that class. It was a boring class. Intro to Education was taught by Dr. Joyce Malone. And I remember one day in class, we were sitting there, we were all bored out of our heads in the class, but one particular person seemed to be a little more bored than everybody else, because suddenly, as she's up there droning on, we heard this snoring. And we looked over, and right in the middle of the room was this poor student who had just conked out of his desk, and he's snoring away. And so one of the other students started to reach over to wake him up, you know, because everybody was looking at him. And Dr. Malone said, no, 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 no. don't wake him up. Let him sleep. He must be tired. She's a very nice lady. He must be tired. And so she, she just began to speak very, very quietly through the rest of the, through the, rest of the lecture, uh, sotto voce or whatever that would be in the musical terms, and, and it just kind of like whispered through the thing, and we were all quiet. He just snored away through the whole thing. And then at the end, we all got up, and she said, now be quiet. Don't make any noise with your chairs. And we all slipped out, disappeared, and closed the door very quietly. And that was, that's, that's the last I saw. And I have always wondered, what in the world went through his mind when he woke up? We were gone! And he had missed it all! There are going to be many people, many people, who are going to wake up one day. I'm going to be gone. Most of you are going to be gone. And they will have missed it all. I close with this poem. 
kind of appropriate for the time of year. It was the night before Jesus came, and all through the house. Not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And Mom in her rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a splash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. And what was that sound that my ears seemed to hear? A trumpet proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment this must be the day. The ones who'd believed in this Savior's love he gathered to take to his Father above. With those who were ready, he rose without sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long, and this sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. There is a second advent. Jesus is coming. His return is imminent, and we must be ready for it.